Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. This message is from the series Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and was preached on June 18, 2023. In our study of Luke today, we get to the story of the crucifixion. And I want you to understand it's much more than a story. It is one of the big three events at the core of our faith, the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. Each is dependent upon the other three. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose. And these three historical events define what we believe. To know our faith, you must know those three. Jesus came, Jesus died, and Jesus rose. God the Son left heaven to come to earth. That's the incarnation. God the Son died on a cross for our sins. That's the crucifixion. God the Son rose from the dead. That's the resurrection. We started, Luke, with the incarnation. We will end it over the next three weeks with the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I really want you to understand these three events, real, historical, that really happened, are at the core of the Christian faith and the core of what we believe. Defining our faith without talking about the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection is like trying to talk about basketball without mentioning a ball, a hoop, or a court. There's not a whole lot left. Trying to define the Christian faith without the incarnation, the the crucifixion, and the resurrection is like trying to talk about a PB&J sandwich without peanut butter, jelly, or bread. I mean, there's just not a whole lot left. That is the very heart and the very core essentials of our faith. And it was the preaching of the apostles. You read through the book of Acts, and we'll be doing some studying in that somewhere down the road. You get the heart of their preaching was Jesus is Lord, or Jesus is God. That's the incarnation. Jesus died. That's the crucifixion, or as Paul said, we preach Christ crucified, and Jesus is alive, the resurrection. That was the heart of what the apostles, as they scattered throughout the world, preached. And it must be the heart of what we talk in our sermons, in our classes, when we talk with others, because too often we try and define Christianity without the incarnation, the crucifixion, or the resurrection, and it makes no sense to people, and I hope you understand why. Don't define Christianity primarily as a moral philosophy. When we try to force our morality on people without understanding why, believe, why we believe there is a God, why we believe in Jesus, why we believe in the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection, if we try and force our morality on people without explaining the why behind our faith, we merely frustrate people and they just look upon us as old-fashioned and judgmental. We've got to come back to Jesus and what it's all about. Don't define Christianity as a culture, for Jesus fits into any culture. I like to read history, I like to read biographies, and reading some of the biographies of the first missionaries who went to the island of Hawaii, at first they made a very critical mistake. 
they tried, they were from New England, and they tried to force New England culture on the island of Hawaii. So they taught, if you want to come to church, you have to wear a, 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 a very heavy wool suit, something that didn't even exist in Hawaii. You have to build buildings with no windows because that's how you built buildings in New England, especially for churches where cold and not heat was a factor. And you had to sing traditional Protestant hymns, which were almost unsingable in Hawaiian culture. It wasn't, wasn't until they began to realize, hey, we're not here to spread American culture. We're not here to spread New England culture. We're here to talk about Jesus, the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. And they changed their dress codes and their building codes, and they went with a more traditional Hawaiian style. Finally, they began to make headway in preaching Jesus. So don't define Christianity as a morality. Don't define it as a culture. And don't try and define Christianity in political terms. Whenever we try and merge Christianity and politics, we fail miserably and we end up turning more people away from the faith than we actually attract. Christianity is built on three historical events. Jesus came. Jesus died. And Jesus rose. And today we're going to read about the crucifixion. And by the way, children, I want you to pay attention because I want you to know about the crucifixion. I got a bunch of nails. I'm going to give one to every child here. Don't use it at church. Go home and use it. No, no. I, no. I just want to give every child, if you can tell me anything about the sermon, then, then I want to give you one of these. Just kind of as a reminder. A lot of Christians keep a nail in their pocket or in their purse or on, on, on their desk. I have this on, constantly on my office here at church, a, a bigger one, more like the one that they nailed Jesus to a cross with, just as a reminder. So, children, you want one, come and talk to me afterwards. I'm going to ask you to tell me something about the message, and I'll be glad to give you one, because I really want you to know what we believe, and it's centered on the fact that God's son Jesus came, God's son Jesus died, and God's son Jesus rose from the grave. Our text is in Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 26. Let's stand together as we read what Luke tells us about the crucifixion of Jesus. Remember, he had been arrested, he had been on trial, and he had been sentenced, and we're taking it from there in verse 26. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including a woman, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. 
They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself in us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day. And the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. You may be seated. Obviously, this is a very special, almost a sacred passage. And I want us to kind of work through the events of the crucifixion so that we understand them. And I want to talk about some of the various elements in the crucifixion as Luke recorded them. And I want you to understand what these things teach us. First of all, the story of Simon the Cyrene shows us the humanity of Jesus. Luke tells us that on the way to the cross, Simon of Cyrene was enlisted to carry the cross. He was probably part of a Jewish refugee community in Cyrene, that's in modern Libya, who was in Jerusalem for the Passover. And he was at the right place at the right time, though this was a challenge for him. I say he was at the right place at the right time because he got to do something for Jesus that no one else could, and he carried the cross when Jesus could go on no longer. Christian tradition says that he came to faith in Jesus that day, and interestingly enough, Cyrene became a leading center of the faith of Christianity in that early years, probably after Simon himself had witnessed the crucifixion and the resurrection and went home and told people what had happened. But about Jesus, it shows his humanity. He had gone through intense days of ministry. He had gone through an all-night questioning session. He had had three trials. He was exhausted. 
He had been beaten and whipped, and he lost blood. By this time, he would be severely dehydrated, and after carrying the cross part way, he simply could go no further. And so they enlisted Simon to carry the cross. I want you to understand something about Jesus, though we normally talk about him as God, and he is God. He was also a man. And he had all the physical limitations of humanity that you and I have. The pain of the cross for him, physically, was as intense as it would be for you and I. And don't put him in the category of a, of a, a um, fictional superhero. He was a man. But I think the emotional toll on Jesus was far worse than it would be for you and I. Because he carried the immense weight of separation from God. Of guilt that was not his. Of shame that was not his. And he carried all the baggage of all of our sins with him. That's a lot to put on a man. And you can understand why he got to the point where he could go no further and Simon had to step in. Because it shows the reality of the man, Jesus. The conversation with the women. And I want you to pay attention to this. Because it shows us the judgment of Jesus. We normally talk about the love and forgiveness of Jesus. Rightly so. And we will talk about that more. And we should emphasize the love and the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus. But his conversation with the women shows that the rejection of Jesus brings God's judgment in this world and in the next. The women rightly were mourning and crying and weeping for Jesus. But he said, don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves. Cry for your children. Because a time is coming that will be so horrible that you will think that women without children are blessed and he told the truth I've told you this several times almost exactly 40 years after Jesus said that judgment is coming judgment came on the city of Jerusalem one of if not the world's leading city at the time and it was totally and completely destroyed and the nation of Israel was no longer and their great sin was the rejection of Jesus. Now now listen, it'll be the same for us. Both Israel in the first century and America, the United States of America in this century have all kinds of sins that we are very good at pointing out. But the greatest sin is the rejection of Jesus as God's son. And that is the ultimate sin that brings judgment. And so his conversation with the women, hey, don't cry for me, cry for you and your families because judgment is coming when you reject me in this world and in the next. Now, that's a pretty serious message, but I want you to get it. I want you to understand it. We always talk, and I talk a lot more about God's love and God's forgiveness and God's grace. And you you know that because you hear that from me all the time. But the reality is God ultimately will judge. And that's a truth as well that we can't forget. Third thing, 
the remark to the guards, Father, forgive them, shows us the forgiveness of Jesus. This may be the greatest statement ever made in human history. In pain, after being nailed to the cross, while crowds jeered, guards mocked, rulers sneered, when a criminal on the cross insulted him, and while the guards were gambling with his clothes, no concern for him, hey, I want his robe. While all this was going on, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Listen, if you have any doubt at all about the nature of God, this should answer it. Forgive them. God's nature is to forgive. This also shows empathy. They don't know what they're doing. They don't really understand. They think they're doing right. They're doing their job. They're doing what they've been told to do. The crowd's just doing what the rest of the crowd is doing. But it shows understanding, not just anger. They don't know what's going on. Father, forgive them. It's selflessness. Anyone else in pain, in misery, in suffering, having these put through your hands and your feet would be focusing on me and he was focusing on them I still care for them I still love them and I'm still willing to forgive me they turned on me they rejected me but I care for them listen the world needs to know it doesn't matter what you've done God can and will forgive it doesn't matter who you are how much stupid you've done in your life all of us have. God is willing to forgive. It doesn't matter how long you've lived in rejection of Jesus. God can and will forgive anyone. Doesn't matter how much they've done. We spend way too much time pointing our fingers at other sinners out there. Hey, God will forgive them in the exact same way he forgave us, the exact same way he forgave the guards. That is his nature. There's something weird going on in America. Let me rephrase that. There's a lot of weird things going on in America. But one of them is the rush to ban books in schools and libraries. And the strange part is, now that's rolled over to people trying to ban the Bible from schools and libraries. I don't know if you've read about that or not. Why would they do that? Because the Bible tells stories of adultery and rape and murder and horrible atrocities. Why does the Bible tell these stories? Because the Bible tells the truth about human nature and human life. But the emphasis on the Bible is on the forgiveness of God. No matter how horrible, terrible, no matter what you've done, if you're willing to turn to God, He is willing to forgive you. So in all these horrible stories, see the hand of God. God forgave drunken Noah. God forgave the prostitute Rahab. God forgave the adulterous murderer David. God forgave Saul of Tarsus who harassed 
persecuted and then consented to the murder of a young Christian man named Stephen. It is the nature of God and of his people, and it's shown here best on the cross. In the midst of this, Father, forgive them. And I wanted you to see that. Number four, the episode with the thief shows us the love and the promise of God. Watching Jesus, one of the thieves, came to believe that Jesus really was a king. And he rebuked the other criminal for insulting Jesus. Hey, hey don't you fear God? Our punishment is just. Notice he, had, he admitted that he had done wrong. And he was being punished justly. Justly. He said, but this man, Jesus, has done nothing. And then to Jesus, he said, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' answer shows incredible love for a common criminal and a promise to him. Truly, I tell you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. That's the nature of love. God loves all people, from the outwardly righteous to obvious criminals, and everybody in between. His love is real. But his love is not just empty words. It's easy to say, I love you. What Jesus did is he died for us, and he died for the thief on the cross. And so he could say with all honesty, today, before this day is over, you will be with me in my kingdom. I want you to understand something that the Bible teaches. Because I know there's, there's all kinds of opinions in the world about death and what happens afterwards. I believe the Bible is clear. When we die, we go immediately to be with Jesus. No waiting in the grave no disembodied spirit hanging out in the clouds waiting for something. Like the thief on the cross, we go to be with Jesus immediately. It's a promise that I believe in with all my heart. Believe in him now, and on that day, you can trust Jesus to take care of you, and he will. If he would do it to a common criminal on the cross, he would definitely do it to anyone today. Our brother-in-law... TJ passed away this week. He was a young man. Anybody younger than me is a young man. When he died, he went to be with Jesus. No more cancer. No more pain. No more disfigurement. No more chemo. No more radiation. No more mental unclarity. He's fully and completely who God wants him to be with Jesus. And I believe that with all of my heart. If Jesus can do it to the thief on the cross, he will do it to anyone who puts their faith and trust in him. And in the death and burial, and really the whole story, shows us that this was God's plan from the beginning you got three hours of darkness as if God himself were mourning for him son you got earthquakes some of the gospels tell us about 
You got the, the, the temple drapery that kind of signifies the separation between God and man being torn in two. And you have Joseph's Arimathea. Jesus was not going to be put in a pauper's grave where no one knew where his body was. It was part of God's plan that everybody know where his body is. It's proof of the resurrection. And so Joseph of Arimathea, a good man. We normally pick on the Jews, but there were among them good men like Nicodemus and Joseph who came and asked for the body of Jesus and treated it reverently and quickly buried him before the sun came down, signifying the start of the Sabbath. And the women who followed saw exactly where Jesus was laid. God had planned every detail. The women didn't return the next day. It was the Sabbath, and Jewish custom and tradition and laws didn't allow for them to go and, and, and dress the body and prepare it for long-term burial. But they came back knowing exactly where Jesus was on Sunday morning, and we'll talk much more about the resurrection next week. But Jesus was alive, and I want you to see everything was part of God's plan. From a human perspective, as I mentioned last week, this was a horrible travesty of justice that an innocent man, the only perfect man, would be executed. But it was God's plan and the greatest act of love in human history that Jesus would die for me and for you. Now think about that. Anybody here want to proclaim how good you are? You know deep down. I've blown it. I've done a lot of things wrong. I know as a pastor I'm supposed to be a good man. It's part of my job description. But I know deep inside I'm not that good. Jesus died for me. And it was the greatest act of love anybody, anytime, has ever done for me or for you. So what steps should you take today as a result? Number one. I want you to choose. Which of the two thieves are you like? This is essentially a salvation kind of decision. One mocked Jesus and never believed and apparently died in his unbelief. One, though, is the last moment that's okay with God because he allows anybody to come to him anytime. One recognized he was a sinner and he needed a king, a savior, a Messiah, a Christ. And he believed in Jesus. Which of, this, which, which of those two thieves are you most like? It's a salvation decision. There has to come a time in your life in which you make your choice. I believe or I don't believe. My frustration in America today is that there's so many people who are walking the middle. Well, I sort of kind of halfway, partway believe, I'm not sure. I just don't know. There comes a time when you've got to make up your mind. And, and this guy waited to the very end, within hours, maybe minutes of his death, but he made the right choice. Which is yours? There comes a time when you need to go before God and tell him, I do believe in you. I believe you are God, that you came to earth, you lived a perfect life, you died on the cross, you rose again, and you're calling me to believe in you. The words you say are not important. I know you've seen a lot of the, 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 the memorized prayers that people can pray, and they can help you say what's on your heart, but it's not the words, it's not a magic formula, it's just that time where you come to, I really do believe in you. 
and you're willing to tell him that. So I encourage you to make that decision, and you can do so today. I mean, this doesn't have to be, yeah, I'm going to think about that. I'm going to do it maybe next week, maybe the following week. I've had a lot of people who tell me, I'm going to make that decision soon, and then they just kind of wander off. So there comes a time when you need to nail it down. But I'm also going to ask you to make another choice. How will you live? So that salvation decision is kind of a one time. I made this decision, I received Jesus. But how will you live is an everyday kind of decision. Will you be like the crowd? Many of them didn't even have a clue as to who Jesus was. They're just making fun of him like everybody else. They're just doing what crowds do. Follow the leader. We're not even sure who the leader is, but you know it's, it's popular to do this. It's popular to think that. It's popular to say that or, or act like that. Will you be like the crowd or will you choose to be like Jesus? And understand who Jesus was. Because it's more than just a moral decision. To be like Jesus is to adopt the attitude and the actions that show you're living a life of love, forgiveness, and grace. And again, we have too many Christians who just want to talk just morality, right and wrong. Man, it's deeper than right and wrong. As the Pharisees showed us, you can be right and be totally and completely wrong by failing to love, failing to forgive. So Christians, most of you have already made the decision to follow Jesus. But a daily decision you have to make. Am I just going to follow the crowd? Or am I going to be like Jesus? And if you've already made the first decision, I'm asking you to make the second decision. I want to be like Jesus. But if you've not made the first decision, it's time to make it today. Now, if you're following in your bulletin, you'll see number three. There is no number three. Sometimes I just put in that so you'll listen to the end. Because <laughs> sometimes when I get to the last point, you write it down. I see, you know, the Bible shut down, the iPad shut down. You zip it up and you're ready to walk out. I wanted you to listen to the end. You've got two choices to make. Are you going to believe in Jesus, yes or no? And are you going to choose to be like Jesus, yes or no? You understand the questions? You understand the decisions? Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. You can find out more about our church at abcaz.net and you can find Pastor Jack's sermons on most podcast apps. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.